Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, a special treat, a one of the hottest new releases books by author Teresa Payton. And we have Teresa on today to talk about it. Uh, the book called Manipulated, Inside the Cyber War to Hijack Elections and Distort the Truth. Th Teresa, thank you so much for joining today. We are honored to have you on. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and uh, to just sort of see how the conversation unfolds. Yeah, and I see your, your polar bear. Yeah, I've always got to have somebody watching my back, so. <laughs> <laughs> and your book's there. You hold one up for us, would yeah, you? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So we've got, uh, well, first we've got the presidential HMX1. So I'll move that out of the way. And um, this is, it, it's available in ebook as well and audio okay uh, your yours truly is reading the uh, audio version of the book and i did that for mine too so how did you like that it was an interesting experience uh -huh. um uh yeah it's it's completely different from just like reading story time to your kids it is, it is. Um, but it was fun and you know i got to i got to sort of get reacquainted with my book all over again so that was kind of fun and you're, there's things that when you're reading it, you're like, I left that in there. I can't believe it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you had those experiences too. Like, oh yeah, I was going to remove that, but it's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, so I got the pronunciation. I had a, a coach uh, mm -hmm. on, you know, kind of listening in. And so I got the pronunciation of all the different like foreign uh, cities and people's names and uh, kind of foreign uh, phrases and things like that. Uh, but the English language, he would say to me, you know, that's not how you say that word. <laughs> I'm like, but I've said it that way my whole life. I can't recall right now, but it's just very funny. It's like, well, what part of the United States are you from? And I said, well, I'm a Marine Corps brat and a Navy wife. So not really from anywhere. So that's probably my pronunciation. It's just different things I picked up along the way. Yeah, I remember going through the same thing. And I probably recorded the whole thing three times. Because I record something and then I'd have to throw it all out, or I'd use half of that and redo the other part, the other half of the chapter three more times. And I bet if all said and done, I got like 30% done and then found out I had to re record with a different mic because I just could not get the, the balancing right to, within the mm. certain, certain decibel you know, uh, peaks and dips because the mic had uh, bad quality on some of the, the peaks and the, the whistles on the the, the S's and stuff just comes across as a whistle in certain mics and I, I couldn't get rid of it. So those things you learn, you're like, I thought I could just sit in front of a mic and talk. No, it's not like that. <laughs> you're exactly right. Yeah. 
Anyway, give us a little bit of your background before you, what brought you up to, to getting to the point where you wrote this book? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I um, started off my career working in the financial services industry and was on the cutting edge of technology, working with advanced technologies, always sort of on the customer facing side. And what was interesting about that is when you're on the cutting edge of technology, first of all, you're on the cutting edge of teaching your customers how to use the technology, but also on the cutting edge of fraud and money laundering and terrorist financing. And we didn't even call it cybercrime yet. And that sort of flipped a switch in me. I, my family is mostly US military, some law enforcement, where I got pretty frustrated. I didn't like seeing crime happen or even the opportunity for crime. And so I always asked if I could have responsibility to have not just the cutting edge technology delivery, but also responsibility for fraud and fighting crime. And uh, got that opportunity to work for President George W. Bush. And once I came out of the White House, I wanted to create a cybersecurity and intelligence company to serve nations, businesses, and individuals that I wish it had been around to serve me when I was in banking or when I was at the White House and couldn't find. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I learned over my years of working in the financial services industry and for President George W. Bush is that oftentimes technologists walk around with all this great information and we're so busy doing, we don't have, take the opportunity to teach others what we know and what we see in a way that they can protect and defend themselves. And so I decided, um, I wrote my first two books with a really good friend and colleague, Ted Claypool, who's a fabulous cybersecurity and privacy lawyer. And we both wanted to write books not for our technical colleagues. We wanted to write books for our mothers and our aunties and our neighbors and our friends that were non-technical. And so that really sort of set in motion this journey that I went on by myself from Manipulated. And Manipulated is a project a little over four years in the making. And when I, I'm so glad my, my book agent really pushed on, upon me to actually improve sort of the book concept uh, because she felt like at the time it was like great idea, not sure anybody wants to read it. And by pushing pretty hard on me and pushing back and getting me to refine the concept, uh, I think we came up with something that is not only timely, it feels like, a, you know, sort of like these predictions are starting to unfold faster than I anticipated, but also something that I think, you know, everybody can read, whether you're technical or non-technical and walk away with something that you can do differently. All right, let's take a break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Mm -hmm. awesome. it's, it's good. 
Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Teresa Payton, uh, the author of Manipulated Inside the Cyber War to Hijack Elections and Distort the Truth. So before the break, and we, we ran a little bit long, but that's okay because we wanted to get your background and your story and how you came about it. But now when I look at the title of this book, The Curiosity <laughs> Rules, okay, Inside the Cyber War, tell us about your experience and how you got to be that inside on that cyber war. Yeah, so one of the things that we were seeing with the work that we were doing for <clears throat> city governments, county governments, state governments, and even the federal government was um, kind of this real challenge of people who are on the front lines of protecting information about elections. You know, not just the election equipment itself, but really the whole ecosystem of how do I get an absentee ballot? How do I register to vote? Where am I supposed to go to vote? What hours? Um, if I'm a student in this state, am I eligible to vote or not eligible? You know, all the informal American has the opportunity to vote and participate in democratic elections. Uh, we realized that they were outmanned and outgunned in, in many um, instances. The other thing is, is we also do a lot of work, cyber operatives, nation states, um, cyber criminal syndicates. And we were noticing that uh, these different groups had different intentions and were actually leveraging social media, not just to influence winners and losers of elections, but actually to influence different types of social issues. Everything from, I mean, you'd be surprised whether or not to vaccinate your children. That argument I noticed was really trending up. And this is quite a few years back. And I thought, what's going on in America that there's suddenly like these two factions of like, you must vaccinate and then I'm not going to vaccinate. And come to find out, even though there were authentic Americans in that argument, it was actually Russian operatives masquerading as our neighbors and friends that were actually stoking the division on both sides of the argument. So you may reason. ask yourself, why would the Russians care if we yeah. vaccinated our kids? They don't. They have an almost 100% vaccination rate because it's mandatory. Really, it's to make you get to the point where you don't believe trusted vetted news sources and you don't know who to believe, which leaves you open to believing anything. And so that really started me on this journey of curiosity to not only reveal who's doing this, but what their motives are. And then how can I teach everybody quickly to spot them like a pro? Because social media companies alone are not gonna be able to combat this issue. And we certainly can't create laws that are going to stop it from happening. I mean, if you look at, for example, the Mueller report, 13 Russians were named in that report. A subsequent court case also named additional Russians. How many of them do you see in jail right now? So that's the challenge. We have to be able to spot them like a pro. So what was, you know, I, when I think about it, I can't even think of a good reason that they would be motivated to do that. Is it? like anarchy or what, what was their, their reason? So in, in many cases, you know, cause I really did think when I started on this journey that it was about picking winners and losers. Mm -hmm. 
And they didn't mind. I mean, they don't mind um, trying to figure out who would be more friendly to their cause. And when I say they, that could be political operatives in America uh, who have a certain kind of, uh, you know, either a political party affiliation or just an issue affiliation. Then it could also be nation states. Um, and the nation states could be Russia, China, North Korea, Iran can also be unscrupulous political operatives who are trying to get opposition research and sort of play the headlines for or against a particular candidate, right? As it relates to nation states and the work that uh, they are doing and did across global elections, this is not just about 2016, is they don't mind picking winners and losers. They certainly love understanding where somebody stands, which is why almost every single modern presidential campaign has had hackers hack into email accounts, not to embarrass them, but just to understand from trade negotiations, like what are we looking at here? Who's gonna be more friendly? But the thing that got me really fascinated was once I started learning that they liked the divisiveness, they liked to get us to the point where Chris, you and I um, can't stand to talk to each other after we have an argument on social media, right? You know, just like, that's it. I'm through with you. I'm unfriending you. And that's the end of it. So they, they like that. But the other thing I realized in doing my research is they make a ton of money. So while they're getting us to argue, getting us to not trust and know what to believe or what you can't believe, while getting some people to not go and vote, getting some people to think maybe differently about their vote, they also make a lot of money. The more you and I argue, the more money they make. It's insane. So do they really care about our election at all? Or is it just money? Well, some of this is they, so there's a there's kind of a two-part process for the nation states who participate in this. And the first is they actually perfect their techniques on their own citizens. In many cases, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, their own citizens don't have wide access to all the social media platforms that we do. You know, in fact, Russia has their own form of Facebook. Uh, you, as you know, in China, you don't use Google, you use Baidu, you use WeChat, you don't use, you know, some, so they actually have social media they've decided is allowable. And then they promote this narrative. So for example, with COVID-19, they promote a narrative of look at what a great job we are doing in containing the virus taking care of you look how generous we are to the world and so they would show pictures of we sent supplies to italy for example russia and china both did that uh here we are sending masks over to america because they didn't make can't make their own so they perfect these narratives within their own citizens to show them that you want our form of government because we're really good at taking care of you. And then look at America. Well, look at what a dumpster fire they are right now. And then they show how we're all arguing or how we've taken to the streets or, or whatever it is, right? The protests for the lockdown, um, you know, before uh, kind of the anti-racist movements that are going on, you had Americans protesting the lockdowns mm -hmm. because it's impacting people economically. And so they, once they perfect they then go to their state sponsor information campaigns, manipulation campaigns, amplification of things that are accurate. And then they go to social media that we use 
and they then amplify these stories. What was fascinating to me and is kind of a newer development is the actual collusion, I'm calling it collusion, um, across Russia, Iran, North Korea, and China in promoting COVID-19 conspiracies. So they were promoting fake cures, again, making money off that. They were promoting the idea that COVID-19 did not originate in China. It kind of looks like maybe Italy, or we think the US military actually created it and you can't prove otherwise. And they actually promoted these campaigns, not just to their own citizens, but to Europeans, Canadians, uh, non-European Union countries, and America. Interesting. Let's hold that thought. Be right back after we hear from our sponsors again. Cyber Frontier uh, on today talking to Teresa Payton, the author of Manipulated Inside the Cyber War to Hijack Elections and Distort the Truth. Now, before the, the break here, everything that I heard you say seemed to be about distorting the truth. So I don't I don't hear a good what they're getting out of it other than money. But how does that relate to hijacking elections now? Are they actually did they make headway with getting that to happen? What um, now, whether or not they changed how you voted, or whether or not you actually voted, that debate remains to be seen. Um, but here's here's what I do know. As part of my research, the Catalonian separatist movement in Spain got a unique amount of momentum that it hadn't seen before. Enough momentum that a referendum was voted on and passed and Spain and the EU overturned it, but the people did vote to separate from Spain in the Northern region of Spain. The accounts promoting activism on that referendum, many of them tied to Russian nation state operatives. Mm -hmm. So we'll all have to decide for ourselves did those manipulation and misinformation campaigns drive Spaniards in north of Spain to say, I want to separate? Look at Brexit. If you look at the pro-Brexit movement, many of the accounts that were promoting Brexiting were not authentically UK citizens or EU citizens, mainly Russian operatives. So what do you if think you about, look, you know, I mean, the, the Russians have been, anybody alive from Russia right now lived through the separation, anybody of, you know, voting age, uh, professional age, lived through the separation and the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Maybe that's just their mindset and they're just trying to get the rest of the world on board, separate, you know, be free. Mm -hmm. Is that is that a thought process in there? I mean, it's, I think they've got a multi-pronged approach, which is we don't mind picking winners and losers. We love democracy to fail. 
We want people to not trust election results. And if we make some cash while we're at it, that's awesome too. So it's, it's kind of like an all in kind of thing. Uh, you know, what, what's also interesting is um, if you look at uh, things like in the elections, um, if you, there's a chapter where I reveal um, kind of an American hacker uh, who I call Hacker X. And what's really interesting is he started to talk to different groups about, you know, why are you pro-Bernie, anti-Hillary, and pro-Trump? Like, what's, what's the alignment there? Like, wh what's going on there? And what was interesting was the hackers that he was talking to who were not Russians, um, they actually said, well, you know, we, we're actually pro-money. Um, so when we tried pro-Hillary posts, eh, we didn't make a lot of money. When we tried just anti-Hillary and pro-Trump, we made a little money. But if we were pro-Bernie, anti-Hillary and pro-Trump, that three, you put those campaigns together and it makes us a ton of money. And we don't care who wins or loses. But if you look at the nation states such as North Korea, China, Russia and Iran, um, they very much want to destabilize democracy. And I actually show... Um, in some of the different cases in the United States, they actually got Americans to take to the streets um, and, and to actually protest and march uh, in Texas. Uh, and people were looking for the event organizers. And guess what? They didn't show up because they were uh, in Russia. Uh, in another case, uh, Russians were able to get citizens in Florida. And I write about this in my book to actually dress up and act in what they thought was a play being produced by college students working with Hollywood. They were sent a script. They were actually reimbursed for their time and their supplies. And they actually love the idea so much. They did it again in another town in Florida without being paid. And so, so that really crosses the line. It didn't just stay on social media. People actually left their house and did something. So when you just keep saying they make money, what what's the, the is it all advertisement, click rate? What are they making money on? Yeah, so there's, there is the um, engagement, the click through, the clickbait. They make money on that. Um, they, in some cases, they actually sold merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't sell a lot, but just trying to look legitimate, they actually sold t-shirts and mugs and and things of that nature, not a whole lot of it, but, uh, but no, really that the, the majority of it was sort of the clickbait advertisements and driving uh, traffic to different websites and earning revenue and income off of driving that traffic. Gotcha. So were, th were those websites, who was the benefacting websites of that? Certain stores, shopping, Amazon? I was curious. It's a little bit of an all of the above. So some of it is uh, the, benef the beneficiaries are some of the state-sponsored news organizations were getting traffic. Uh, in some cases, they were actually driving traffic to alternative news media. Mm -hmm. So you'd get the clickbait. People would click on it. They would send you to, uh, you know, kind of these different upstart news organizations people who you know kind of stood the day and the, and the traffic was driven by internet memes 
it was uh, driven by clickbait ads. And that's another thing that I found in my research. I actually went and, and taught some lectures. I had some teachers willing to let me have their high school students. Um, and these were their advanced placement and honors English students in high school. And tell you what, I taught them how to spot a manipulation campaign. And they did a really great job, except for one area, Chris. You want to guess where they failed almost all the time, failed miserably? I... Internet memes. So I told, I told these young adults, I said, the Russians are hacking your brains through internet memes. They see internet memes as authentic and organic. And actually the worse the meme, the more authentic they thought it was. <laughs> I, I mean, and they seri seriously, and I'd say, okay, uh, Russian or authentic? And they'd be like, authentic. I'm like, nope. And they're like, oh, no, you're kidding me. They just, <laughs> it, it trips them up every time. You know, yeah, that whole meme culture. And the, my, my son, who's 19, also always bringing something to me. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure why that's funny. It's like, you know, because of this and that. And you mix them together and you get that. I'm like, all right, okay. But it is definitely a, a thing to that generation. Well, remember, it's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It definitely is. And remember, oftentimes to get the meme, you have to get the meme before the meme before the meme, right? There's memes of memes of memes. Yeah. Kind of like for those... whatever reason, I'm telling you, the Russians, the Russians are really good at it. Yeah. So that's how you get from A to B to C. You don't start at D. You had to know what B, C, A, B, and C were. And I missed that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like the, uh, you watch those sitcoms for years, like Friends or something. And if you picked it up five years down the road, you don't understand what's funny because it's funny based on things that the characters do all the time or that they've done exactly. before. Yeah. The same type of thing. So now if we looked at, you started with, you know, talking to students and everything, what do we do moving forward? What recommendations do you give people to either be more savvy, to not be affected by it? Tell us what your kind of results there are. Absolutely. So for starters, I always say to people, have three sources that you check on things, social issues that matter to you. So for example, have something local that's a trusted vetted news source, something national, and then something international. You can pick, but as long as you pick three different ones um, based on region, chances are if you see something and it sounds sensational and the other two sources don't have it, um, it's probably a manipulation campaign. The second thing is use things like factcheck.org or Snopes. Um, and you can you know type it in and just look it up really quickly. The third is if you do believe that you have found a fake persona, a manipulation campaign, fake news site, report it to the social media platform that you are on. They're trying to train their algorithms that, you know, they walk that fine line between freedom of speech and allowing people to express themselves and what is inauthentic behavior. And so it's really important that as you see something that you report it. Gotcha. And I did, I know I've seen that report this button on some of the things. So that's something that started just in the last couple of years. And, and they really do use that. You never get a response back. You may even see the post stay up. 
but it does go into a process and depending on what they learn and once they investigate it or they run it through their algorithms, it will improve over time how they detect spot and shut down manipulation campaigns. Awesome. Do you know any, any big ones that were kind of shut down that you, you saw as part of your research? Well, I mean, for example, I mean, it's happening all the time. I mean, Twitter just shut down um, thousands of uh, Chinese uh, state-run Twitter accounts that were trying to mimic being ordinary Chinese and American citizens. Um, so they just shut those down. I mean, they're... It seems like there's, it's almost like eradicate the uh, manipulators. Okay. Awesome. So now anything you have going on anywhere you're speaking, uh, how, how can people come see you? Where can they get a copy of your book kind of in closing here? Sure, absolutely. So the, the book is available on Amazon, all every book site. So independent bookstores, you can get it in ebook, audiobook. Um, you can get it in hardcover. If anybody wants a personalized book, you can actually buy it from Park Road Books, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Just tell them that you want to personalize what you'd like to have in it, and I'll actually personalize it and they'll ship it. Um, obviously, most bookstores are closed right now, so um, sort of TBD on uh, doing a nationwide book tour. Uh, and as far as getting out there and speaking, again, most of the in-person stuff is on hold. But if people want to follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Tracker Payton, I do post upcoming uh, events that are considered open to the public. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And this is definitely an interesting topic. I'm sure lots of our listeners will enjoy this. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed, bring you the latest news, explore new trends and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert, just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.